Welcome. You're listening to The Sound of Pursuit. I'm Hal Humphreys, your host. Um, John Nardizi could not be with us today, and I'm terribly sad about that, but I've got a really interesting guest with me today. Uh, Phil Becknell, uh, managing partner of Dilnoit Becknell and Wells Investigative Group in D.C., author of two books, Introduction to Conducting Private Investigations and Principles of Investigative Documentation, first published in 2012. He's written a new edition in his own voice with war stories and biting commentary. The voice he was going for, cynical investigator Monk. He's written lots of articles on investigative and legal topics and taught courses on criminal investigations and white collar crimes. Um, Philip, thank you for taking the time to be here today. I'm tickled you're here. For those in the room that don't know who you are, you know, I kind of muddled through an introduction of you. Tell us, tell us a little bit about Philip. Who, who are you? Where are you from? How long have you been doing this? That kind of thing. Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. And thanks very much for the uh, very generous introduction. Uh, who am I? Well, I'm 50 years old. Uh, I'm bald, obviously. I have a righteous mustache. Uh, a father to two young adults. I'm on my third and final marriage to a brilliant woman and the co-author of the last book uh, that we're going to talk about today. I sometimes paint. I sometimes write. Uh, for about the last 25 years or so, people have paid me to investigate stuff for them, which is just inexplicable to me. I don't understand. I, 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 um, I, find, myself, I, I find myself in the same place. I'm just like sometimes befuddled that people call and say, hey, can you look into this? I'm like, sure. Okay. And, they can, and they pay us. Yeah. So for half my life, that's how somehow how I've made a living um, like you. So I do find it really refreshing that you have so many side pursuits. You identify yourself as a father and a husband uh, and a painter and those kind of things. I think that's a really healthy way to approach it. I have had um, I've been teaching this class for the past couple of years on interview skills and techniques and um I started teaching it probably about five years ago. Year before last, I was in Texas and had an interview that just hit me really, really hard. And it just changed it just changed the way I teach the class. But more importantly, it's changed the way I kind of approach life in general. Uh, it was just one of those really impactful uh, interviews. And I think it's I think it's useful to have um, other creative pursuits to keep yourself sane because you know, we, we, we reckon ourselves as investigators, we're big, strong, you know, we can handle anything, we can take it all, but sometimes it gets to be a little bit too much. So, um, thank you for sharing those things. Yeah, I agree with you. You're, you're more than the sum of what you do for a living. You're yeah. more complicated. Than... Well, let's talk about your book. Um, you've got a new book out and, and when is that available? It's available now. Uh, yep. And, and, you can and where, up we, on it. where could we find it? If I wanted to buy a copy of Philip Becknell's book, where would I find it? It's on Amazon. It's on all the places where you buy books. Um, okay. But yeah, Amazon's probably the easiest one. So this is a new edition. Um, why did you decide to write a new version of the book? The first edition of this book was published in 2012. Um, at that point, I had been an investigator for uh, about 13 years. But um yeah, I, I've just I've become a better writer over the last, you know, fifteen years since I published the first edition. Um, I have more experience, um, and let's be honest. I mean, writing like the topic of documenting investigation isn't isn't exactly 
you know, it's it, it, it's there, there's not like crime dramas or you know documentaries written about documenting investigation. We don't talk about like, you know, there's the first 48, but there's not like the second 48 where the detectives, you know, hunker down and write all the reports about all the interviews they did. It's just not that exciting. Um, and so um, and yet it's, in my opinion, the most important thing that we do. I mean, it's it's the primary tangible work product of our of all of our cases. I mean, I would say our careers. And so um, it's a topic that I think is really important. Um, and I wanted to write a book about it, um, the second edition that's more readable and 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 fun and sometimes funny, um, where I could talk about um, the last 25 years of investigating and some of the things that I've learned about documenting investigations. I sort of have joked that I've kind of backdoored a memoir into a book about documenting investigations. I mean, it's a lot of fun to write. I think it's very readable. Um, I think it's a very important book, but I mean, of course I would say that. Of course, but I think you're right. I mean, here's the thing, documenting, um, your cases, documenting the things you do and the things you do not do is of critical importance to what we do as private investigators. Um, like you said, it is, it is oftentimes the sum total of the work product, uh, that deliverables that we're given to our clients, um, but, you know, in, in, in the introduction of your book, you have the story about a racketeering case you worked on years ago. Um, tell us that story and explain why it's in the intro of the book. Yeah. So I had already decided to, we were already working on the second edition when I got subpoenaed to testify about a case that I worked in the early 2000s. Um, it was, it was kind of one of my, I mean, I'd worked, I'd worked big cases before this, but this was a, a very big case um, that involved, um, I don't remember how many co-defendants it had, but, you know a dozen co-defendants co say and 31 murders and a lot of other um acts of violence over the and it, the, the, the indictment spanned like the course of a decade um so it was a huge case i worked on it for like three years did the indictment say something along the lines of on or about 1990s <laughs> uh, yeah yeah right right i mean the drug charge is right we're like yeah on or about 1990 to 1996 you know like really large spans of time um i mean the murders were obviously specific dates but the yeah and and uh so i is i was a really new investigator and i um i don't have the you know I don't have any law enforcement experience or anything like that so i mean i was i was really just out there talking to people uh writing memos about it kind of figuring things out as i went along largely um and so um nobody ever really taught me how to do how to document anything other than just you know write down what people tell you um and so uh i did a i did an interview of a witness back then who was an eyewitness to one of the three murders that uh that the defendant whose attorney i was working for had been charged with and um and the guy said I mean, some are more or less your, your client wasn't there. Um, and so um, I interviewed him. I took a statement from him. The statement was like a photo array. <clears throat> no one taught me how to, no one taught me how to do that, but I, I did a photo array, you know, where he, he, you know, he said this guy wasn't there. Um, and then I subpoenaed him to the trial. And for some reason, the attorney never put him on the stand. And so flash forward, however many years later, two decades later, um, this ineffective assistance claim had been muddling its way through the courts. And eventually um, he got a hearing on, on that issue. Um, and so I was, I was called to testify about the, the interview that I did 20 years before. And of course I, ha I had very little memory of it. I mean, I remember the case, but I couldn't remember, 
I couldn't remember the details of the murder um, or, you know, where I met this guy or exactly what he said. Um, and I had long ago given up all my documents to the trial attorney. I didn't have any of the documentation. So um, the story is about my testimony or, you know, it, it cites the, the court transcript for my testimony in that case and, and demonstrates why what we do is so important um, in, in terms of documenting it. I mean, I, I, I was able to testify in that case. He did, um, he did have that, um, um, the conviction for that murder overturned. Um, and so it ended up having a, a big impact, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's what I opened with because it, it happened to be what was going on at the time, but there's other stories like that. I mean, uh, throughout the book about why, why this stuff is so important. And you know, the, 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 the notion of documenting interviews and, um, you know, you've probably heard me say this before. I live in Tennessee. It is a one party consent state. I like to record all of my interviews. Um, when I'm working in Texas, same thing. Um, anytime I have the ability to record an interview, I like to do it. It does two things. It protects the witness. I can't say they told me something they didn't say, but it protects me. Um, really specific instance in Texas. Interview this long, young lady had her um, provide an affidavit for a case saying one specific thing. Uh, the thing she was saying was in effect against her ex-husband. Um, she was saying he had done a thing and someone else hadn't done it. Um, later on, she and her ex-husband got back together and she recanted her statement and said that I had forced her to sign a document. And the attorneys told her if she didn't testify what she'd signed, she's going to be held in you know, contempt of court and perjury and this, that, and the other. <clears throat> I got a call from one of the attorneys at like two o'clock in the morning, which never happens. Answer the phone. He goes, Hal, tell me you've got that interview recorded. And I did. <laughs> and at the hearing, I was able to, they put me on the stand and I was able to, number one, show the transcript of the recording, but number two, play the actual recording where you could, you could hear me say to her, I need you to read this affidavit. If there's anything in here that gives you heartburn, you mark through it. You change it. This needs to be in your words. And you can hear her thumbing through the pages. Then you can hear the pin strike on the page where she signs it and says, yes, this is what I want to say. Um, another example of when documenting really makes a difference down the road is it's critically important for us as investigators. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. It, in part one of your book, you lay out your five principles of investigative documentation. Give us a quick overview of what those are. Yep. Um, yeah, so take notes about everything. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, I, I, I um, advocate for keeping what I call a running resume of, of a case. Um, people use different terms for that. Um, a running resume was, um, was borrowed from... Uh, so in D.C., a lot of investigators have learned about investigating from like directly or indirectly from the public defender service here. Um, that's what they call it, but you could call it whatever you could call it case updates. Um, you could call it a case journal. There's other things, but it's essentially a, uh, like, a, like a, like an ongoing, uh, journal of things that you do in an investigation. So, um, you know, kind of a bridge between notes and reports, uh, you should prepare reports about anything, uh, anytime you that there's any likelihood that you might have to testify, uh, you should write a you should write a formal report about it. Um, you should take 
uh, verbatim statements are recorded or audio recordings from uh, witnesses who are hostile, typically, um, and declarations uh, from witnesses who are friendly. Go into why that is, but uh, I know people like you who do all who record all their interviews and in in, in, um, in one party consent states. I mean that that's a way to do it. Um, that's not how my firm does it, but we work in jurisdictions where so in D.C. and Virginia it's one party, in Maryland's all party, uh, and so rather than you know we, we we sort of have a different, a little bit more f- fluid way about how we deal with that. But I know other people who do it uh, all recordings, and that's 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 fine too. Um, and then, uh, retaining documents, you should, you should be retaining your documents for, I mean, I I abdicate for at least five years. I I think that you should keep them almost indefinitely if you're working on criminal defense cases, particularly serious felonies, um, because they have a way of coming back many, many, many years later. Um, you know, as in the example I gave earlier. So those are the five, those are the five principles we break down, um, yeah, why you do them and, and when you do them. Um, and how they all functionally work. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the, that's kind of the outline of the entire book. I like it. Um, and when it comes to recording interviews, I mean, for the listeners out there, look, I'm a fan of recorded interviews simply because look, I have struggles with, with putting pen to paper. I'm dyslexic. Sometimes I misspell things. Sometimes I get things out of order. Um, the recording stops that from being a problem for me. Um, getting a full transcript is easy. Here's the thing. I always talk to the attorney with whom I'm working before I do any of that, because some attorneys don't want that kind of document memorialized. They would rather have a summary uh, in the file. They don't want a recording of it, especially if you're working on civil cases where the uh, rules of discovery are different than criminal cases. So before you record interviews with an audio recorder, um, make sure your clients, your, your attorney clients understand what you plan to do and take feedback from them on how they need it done for them. That's my advice there. Um, Philip, let me ask you this. What are some legal issues investigators might encounter when documenting an investigation? What are some things investigators need to think about? Um, so we have, there's three chapters in this book. One of them is about confidentiality and attorney client privilege. Um, I mean, I would say that's that's first and foremost in the private sector, something you have to consider about because somebody's engaging you to do an investigation. And it's kind of the first question you should be asking yourself. Um, we talk about that there is a distinction between attorney client privilege and confidentiality, which we go into. Um, and and I, you know, I tell a story about how one time we worked for somebody without an attorney and um, and how it was a surveillance case for a custody matter and the and the client didn't like something that was in one of our reports and asked us in an email to change it. And so we said, I mean, I called the guy and I said, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that, but we, we will prepare a declaration that will take, will admit that one thing, but we're not going to change the report because it's what happened. And um, of course we were subpoenaed to, um, we were, you know, issued a subpoena duces tecum for our documents and um, which we had to turn over. And, uh, and so the, the fact that the guy was trying to change the reports was something that came in. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of a, a word of, a word of caution about doing that. Um, but interestingly that, that the law firm that subpoenaed us ended up hiring us, you know, like a year later, um, it ended up being a pretty reliable client because they saw that we were ethical and documented stuff. Well, the number of times that happens, you, you, you know, the opposite side in a case 
you know, sees your work. Maybe they're not happy because the work you've done has crushed them in court. But the number of times they come back and say, you know, hey, um, Hal, Philip, you know, I, your guy kicked my ass in court, but the work you did was pretty amazing. I'd like to hire you on this other case. It happens quite often. So, you know, if for no yeah. other reason, do good work as an investigator because it, it's a calling card. Um, you know, that yeah. word of mouth work is the best work there is. Um, I, I love this work and I love it when someone like you, Philip, takes the time to put pen to paper and, and provide the rest of us with some guidance from your experience. Um, what are some tips and resources people can expect to find in this book? Investigators, what are some things that you, you would like for them to get out of this book? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the most important thing is, is the documenting is important. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the overall thrust of the book. Um, and you know, that you should adhere to whether you want to call them the five principles of investigative documentation or something else, but, but doing these steps are all very important. I mean, the note taking is important because it helps you write better reports and it helps your memory. Um, the statements are important because they cement people's, you know, what, what people say. Uh, one of the other legal things I was going to mention is is uh, is is hearsay, and you know, people, investigators, we kind of we collect all this evidence that we never think about. I don't want to say we, but like generally speaking, you think about it as evidence, and you don't really think about exactly how it's going to how it works. I mean, and so one of the things that we talk about is hearsay and hearsay exceptions um, in some detail. Um, and so when you're interviewing people, I mean, it's it, by definition here, it's, it's an out of court statement for. Um, the truth presented generally, I mean, you're gathering that stuff. And so, you know, in theory, it, it, it's all hearsay. Um, but, but, but what we're, the reason why we're doing what we're doing is, is, is primarily to generate prior inconsistent statements that might come in to impeach people. Um, it's one of the reasons why document, documenting is so important, particular statements. Um, and so, you know, better note-taking writes, you know, generates better reports and better reports generate better statements and better statements generate better chances of generating prior and consistent statements that are actually usable in the cases that you're, 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 um, you're working on. And so I think an understanding of, of, of why we do what we do so that you, um, you know, a understand the importance of it, but B, you know, make choices in your investigations that, um, that, that are more likely to help your clients. Um, is, is, is the, is the overarching thrust of it. There's also sample reports, um, style guidelines, um, that our, our firm uses and various templates for things like evidence preservation letters and statements. Um, and I think there's some like re releases, um, and that kind of thing in there, records, request letters, stuff that our firm uses routinely for, um, gathering evidence and documenting the cases, the investigations that we're working on. Well, that's very cool to have um, examples and samples of letters like that because, uh, you know, here at uh, Pursuit Magazine and PI Education, we get calls on a fairly regular basis. Um, do you have an example of how to write a spoliation letter? Do you have an example of how to do a records request? And, you know, folks, if you're, if you're out there in, in, in the world of private investigations and you want some examples of how these things are done, I'm telling you, Philip Becknell is, is he's, he's in that top cadre of investigators in the country and he's also smart and he's written a couple of books and I'm here to tell you they're good books. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I love to read. I like to spend time in books that help me. 
get a copy of this book, um, read it to learn, but also read it to get some ideas of how you might do things a little bit differently. Um, Philip, I've often told people, you know, when, when they ask about uh, documenting and recording um, interviews and, and taking notes and that kind of stuff, if I'm going on the stand in a criminal case, there's a really good chance something has gone wrong. A witness has squirreled on us and said something contrary to what we said. If I get on the stand as an investigator, there is a certain amount of cachet to being a licensed private investigator. And you can, you can certainly get on the stand and say, well, that witness told me X, Y, or Z. That carries some weight, but it carries a lot more weight if you have a prior written record, if you have an audio recording of the interaction, and you can actually prove up what you're saying. When you're impeaching someone, you're the investigator. If you have all of the evidence that shows what you say is truth and what they said is not the truth, then you're going to do better as an investigator. So keep detailed records. Um, and again, Pick up a copy of this book, um, Philip Becknell's book. What's the title of the book, Philip? The Principles of Investigative Documentation. The Principles of Investigative Documentation. Pick up a copy, read it, use it as a guide for you. Um, at Pursuit this week, we've got a really good excerpt coming from Philip's book titled A Memo to the File. Philip, give us a quick teaser. What's that story about? It's actually the book's conclusion, um, and it's a story about how um, an attorney that we worked with once uh, called one of my investigators report a piece of shit um, and screamed at him. And, um, and so, you know, I, it, it's about how I reacted to that, um, to, to that, uh, to that attorney's comment. Um, and, and, and the fact that I wrote a memo to the file about it. And when you write a memo of, to the file, you're, you're essentially writing a memo to yourself um, to, um, to protect yourself, but also I think to, to, um, to put everything down and so that you could make it, make a decision about what the course of action you need to take about the thing that you are writing about. Um, it sort of forces you to confront your choices and to confront the, um, the information that you're, that you're, that you're writing down. And so, um, that's kind of like, you know, writing a memo to the file is like writing a book or it's about, it's, it's kind of looking inward to, um, to do those things. And I think, I think it's sort of the, the, um, I think it's why, you know, it's another, it's another reason why documenting is so important because it makes us better investigators. You know, you, you, you write reports about the interviews that you do. And sometimes you might reach the conclusion that you didn't ask somebody a question that you should have asked or, I wish I had done this different, or I wish I had looked into this other thing. I mean, I, if I, when I'm doing research related reports often, I'm like, Oh, I didn't look at that one thing. And then, you know, I'll do that before I finish the report. Um, and so the aspect of, of, um, of writing it down, it, it makes you a better investigator in itself above and beyond all the things that Hal just mentioned, which are also true. And that's, that's essentially what that article is about. Awesome. Philip, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here. We appreciate it. Tell our listeners one last time the title of the book and where they can buy it. Uh, it's called Principles of Investigative Documentation. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's available now. Great. Philip, thank you again. Folks, that is your Sound of Pursuit for this week. Thank you for joining us. We will see you again soon. 
Big thanks to OREB Private Investigator Liability Insurance and investigatormarketing.com.